So welcome to Ridgetop Church. We're a church plant. Um, we're just getting started. We are, I think we're like in week eight, maybe, of gathering as a church. And so we're really, we're glad that you're here. And if, if you're new, I would love it if you filled out this little card and put it in the little offering basket that's going to come, it's going to be right here when I get done at the end of the service. And uh, that'll help us to connect. And uh, if uh, you have questions or prayer requests, you can also put that on that, uh, on that card. Um, I'm going to do something that I haven't done in a long time, and that's preach a big, long chapter of Scripture. And um, it's going to be fun, I promise. It, it, it won't be too painful. Um, this is the first week of um, what we're calling the Common Creed. And uh, it's a sermon series that is uh, based on Scripture, but the framework of it is going to be the Apostles' Creed. And so the Apostles' Creed is one of the oldest creeds uh, the oldest creed in church history, and it's one of the just the simplest, basic uh, kind of depiction of the basic Christian truths. And so we're going to use that as our framework, and we're going to be cruising through d- different phrases of that and uh, talking about Scripture that pertains to that particular uh, short phrase. And uh, I grew up saying this creed almost every Sunday. I grew up in a Lutheran uh, church, and Lutheran churches say the creed. Um, and I was not a Christian until I was like a senior in high school. So I said this creed many, 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 many times. Um, and it wasn't until I heard someone talking about having like a personal experience with Christ, placing their faith in Jesus personally. And I thought, that's not how, at least how I was perceiving that my church was doing it. And it, and it opened up an opportunity for me to, to actually personally place, place my trust in Christ. Um, so then I kind of swung the other way. I was like, creeds are bad and high church liturgy and those kind of things. Um, we just need the Bible. And, we, we just, and the people around me were saying similar things. They're saying, we just, we're just about the Bible. And, um, and so the, the Bible is, you know, it's at the top, right? It's in terms of like understanding Jesus and who he is and what he wants for us. Um, but when I became a pastor, I noticed that uh, sometimes, not always, but sometimes people in the church that, the, that I pastored, um, they would have a hard time understanding the Bible because they didn't know sort of the bigger overall truths that are contained in it. And so they would come up with really goofy interpretations sometimes of, of the Bible. And then as the pastor, I'd say, oh, actually, it's not that, it's this, here's why. And they would go, oh, okay, got it. But then it would happen again sometimes. And this is when I started to realize, actually, there is a, a reason for creeds and for doctrine, right, which we'll talk a little bit about. And sound doctrine is, is really just biblically faithful, practically helpful summaries of truth that's in the Bible, right? It's biblically faithful. It's saying something that's already in the Bible, but it's also practically helpful. It makes sense. It helps us to, to get, a, get a handle on truths that are in the Bible. It's not too complicated. It's not that words aren't too big, that you don't know what's going on. Um, and so it's, it's, it's both faithful to the Bible and practically helpful. Uh, an example would be like um, the doctrine of the Trinity, right? That God is triune, that he is one God, three persons, and each person is fully God, right? These are short statements that help us to to get some kind of handle on uh, who God is and what he wants from us in the scripture. The Bible even speaks of this, right? One example, Titus 1.9, 
he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So you, this is like uh, qualifications for a, a pastor in the church and saying they need to know the, the trustworthy word, that's the scripture, but they also need to know sound doctrine. Those things work kind of hand in hand and uh, are part of church life. And so every sermon you hear is, is doctrine, right? It's like a summary of truths that are found in the scripture. Every Bible study you have and people are making comments, you're hearing doctrine. What, that might, might be sound, might be unsound, but, but it's, it's, those are doctrinal kind of conversations um, and then uh, official statements of faith or creeds, uh, catechisms, those kinds of things are examples of doctrine. And so this is what we're going to be looking at. One of the most basic sort of summaries of Christian truth in the Apostles' Creed. And the first phrase we want to look at this morning is the, the opening phrase, I believe in God. That, that's the first phrase of the Apostles' Creed. And that brings a couple of questions. Who is this God? And what does it mean to believe in this God? Now, who is this God is what the creed is answering. So for the next, you know, six, seven weeks, we'll be answering who is this God. Right. Uh, what we want to talk about this morning is what does it mean to believe in this God of the creed? Um, and, and so this word believe uh, can trip us up a bit, uh, I think, in our, our current culture because we, quote, believe a lot of things. We might believe in democracy, right? We, we, we might say we believe in climate change or we believe in recycling or we believe that the Longhorns are going to win the Big 12. And mostly it's we have a strong feeling about something. We have a strong opinion, a strong preference. And we might take action based on that opinion or preference. We might not. Right? And so this is more what we mean in our culture when we say we believe. And Christians mean something different. And that's, this is what we want to get at in Hebrews 11, which is, which is such an important passage for understanding what it means to believe or have faith. Those are, that's synonymous, right? Faith and belief, uh, very, very similar terms. And so this massive chapter that we just read, we're going to look at what is genuine Christian faith, uh, what or who is the object of that faith, and what is it like to live by faith. Right? So what is faith, who's the object of faith, and what is it like to live by faith. So what is faith? That's our first question. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Uh, this is the closest thing to a definition of faith in the Bible. Right here. Like, faith is. Like, this is what it is. Um, from this definition, we can see that it's internal. It's an internal reality. That internally we have an assurance about something, a conviction of something. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we... We're hearing from our lease, leasing office at our apartment that our lease is about to, to go, be, be done. And we were like, okay, well, maybe we should think about buying a house, right? And, uh, and so 
I, I think about you know, that, that decision. My wife and I, we, we talk about it. And I just don't have an assurance about the housing market that would lead me to have the faith to actually buy a house. So I need to talk to some other people to help me maybe build my assurance that this is the right decision. And so I, I talked to some other friends, some people in real estate, and they did not help me. Um, one of them said, you buy a house right now, it's like catching a knife in midair. It could be the best thing you've ever done, or you could really hurt yourself. And I was like, my assurance of a, a future in real estate for me, you know, it's, 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 it's not building. It's, uh, faith is not increasing. Um, now, one of the things about faith is that it's only worth something if it's being placed in a worthy object, right? Faith in and of itself has no value. Uh, we, we talk about faith as if just faith in and of itself has value. We say, oh, keep the faith. Just keep the faith. You've got to have faith. That's a great song from the 80s. Um, the sun will come out tomorrow. Really? How do you know? Oh, just be positive. Be optimistic. Have, have faith. That's not what we're talking about. That's not Christian faith. That's, that's cultural faith. And it's very American kind of talk. That things are going to get better. And things are always going to, you know, things are going to work out. And, and it's very optimistic. Feels good, but that's not what we're talking about here. The, the reason that, that, that faith has no inherent value is be, because it has to have an object that's worthy of being trusted in, believed on. Right? Um, one way to think about that is that it, it has instrumental value, but not inherent value. Right? Um, my debit card has instrumental value. In and of itself, it's worth nothing. It's a piece of plastic. But I can take it to Central Market and I can buy overly priced groceries with it. Right? And so it is a means of getting something that I want. So in that sense, it does have value. Faith is much like this. Right? Faith has instrumental value. It doesn't have inherent value. Right? And this is the next question, right? What is this faith in or who is this faith in? And this faith is in God, the one who is infinitely valuable, right? Even Hebrews uh, 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Once he gives the definition of faith, he, he starts talking about God because this is the object of our faith. Um, and it's different to put your faith in someone rather than something. Um, and, and so, you know, when Melanie and I got married, I was putting my faith in someone, right? Um, and I had an internal assurance and a conviction that I could do this, that I could, I could trust her, that I could rely on the, the, what the words that were coming out of her mouth. Because here's the words that were coming out of her mouth. She was saying, I, Melanie, take you, Robert, to be my wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to have love and to cherish, till death do us part, according to God's ordinances, I pledge my life. That's what she said to me. And I believed her. And I was right to believe her. I, that assurance that I had, that I could trust, that she would do this thing that she was vowing to me, 
was, was a, a, the right decision. And by trusting Melanie, I wasn't trusting in particular outcomes, right? I wasn't trusting that we were going to always, you know, have lots of money and be healthy and never have any struggles. And the, 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 there was no outcome conversation, really. I mean, think of the vows. You're saying, I'm going to be with you for rich or for poor, for sickness and in health. You're, you're actually articulating, hey, outcomes, who knows? But I'm trusting in, the, in this person, right? And, and, and so, you know, trusting in the housing market, that is very different from trusting in a person. Because partly what happens when you trust in a person is that it opens up a relationship. It creates a union. And this is what happens when we trust in God. We're not just trusting in a list. We're not just trusting in a creed, right? We need a creed to know who He is and what He's done. But when we put our faith in, we trust in the object of our faith, God, we enter into a union with Him, a relationship with Him. And that relationship with Him results in particular kinds of experiences with God and also particular actions and attitudes on our part that are consistent with this new relationship that we have with God uh, through faith. And that's mostly what we have in this passage is for instances, for, you know, for examples. And it's, I, it's like a slideshow and comments on the slideshow. And it's like, hey, check out Abraham. Oh, check out Sarah. Check out Enoch. I mean, and, and then the, the writer makes comments. And, and so these snapshots really begin to help us understand what is it like to live by faith. Because it's one thing to try to explain it in, in, in with words, but really, you need to, to, to see some people who are actually doing it to get a fully textured understanding of what it means to live by faith. And so, um, I, I want you to use those Bibles that are in your, in your chair there, because I'm not going to put all these scriptures up here. Um, so, find Hebrews 11. It has a table of contents. If you don't know where Hebrews is, it's okay. It's in the New Testament. Find Hebrews 11, chapter 11. When somebody has found it and knows the page, Jesus, Call out the page so everyone else can... 947. 947. Okay. 947, Hebrews 11. So, we've talked about what is faith, what is the object of our faith, and now what is it like to live by faith. First thing, first snapshot, genuine faith pleases God. Genuine faith pleases God. I mean, verse 2, is we just read this, for by it people of old received their commendation. Um, the Greek word being translated there uh, is martyreo, and that word is usually translated witness or testimony, and usually it's talking about us giving a witness or a testimony about the gospel, and here it's, it's God giving a witness or a testimony of commendation and saying, hey, this is, I like this. I want to celebrate this. I want to point this out, right? And this is what the writer is doing. is saying, look, look at, this, look at this person. They're living by faith. You could think of it as the applause of God. God's saying, yes! That's, that's it! <laughs> that's what I want. That's, what, that's why I saved you. I saved you so you can live like that. that that's partly what this, this author is, is, is portraying. That God is commending. He is applauding those that are living by faith. So the examples given for this uh, genuine faith pleasing God 
are Abel and Enoch. So verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was, quote, commended, there's that word, as righteous. God commending, there's that word again, him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Then he makes a comment. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So first story is Cain and Abel, right? One of the first stories in the Bible. And Cain and Abel offer up uh, offerings to God. Uh, Cain brings some agricultural um, plant products. Abel brings, some, brings an animal. Um, God is pleased with Abel's offering, not pleased with Cain's offering. And uh, God lets uh, Cain know that. Cain gets upset, kills Abel, first murder in the Bible. And, uh, and, and this, is, this is about all we know, right, is, is that one was accepted, one was not. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, you know why God accepted Abel's offering? Because he did it by faith. He offered it by faith. Uh, Enoch, he's a one-verse wonder. You've heard of a one-hit wonder? Enoch is a one-verse wonder. Here's his verse, Genesis 5.24. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That's his verse, okay? Kind of a mysterious thing, right? Um, the writer of Hebrews here is, is saying, you know why that, that God took him as in he didn't die? He was, the official term is he was transposed <laughs> and he was brought from earth to heaven without having to die a physical death is because Enoch lived by faith and he was commended by God by this, by this transposition of him from heaven or from earth to heaven. So that's snapshot one, genuine faith is pleasing to God. Snapshot two, genuine faith results in obedience to God's commands. Um, the poster children for this are Noah and Abraham. So verse seven, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And then Abraham, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he went to live <laughs> in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that, was found, that found, has foundations, whose designer and builder is God." So, two examples. So, God tells Noah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this, this flood. You really should build an ark. And an ark is like a boat without a rudder or a sail. It just kind of wanders around in the current. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to flood the whole place. You just get in this ark. You just trust me. And Noah's like, check. And he builds the ark, puts his family in there. He floats around. And eventually, God uh, rescues him out of that flood. And points to his obedience and says, see that? That's living my faith, right? And then um, Abraham, uh, he is an older man by the time that God initiates with him. He's doing pretty well. He's pretty rich. 
Uh, he's got a nice ranching business going. Um, and God says, you know what? I want you to leave your home and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. Doesn't tell him where. Doesn't tell him what's going to be when he gets there. Just says, just do this. And Abraham does it. He obeys. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, that's living by faith. Right? Obeying God's command like Noah and Abraham. Snapshot three, genuine faith requires reliance on God. It requires reliance on God. The poster child for this is Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him, as good as dead, how would you like to be called as good as dead? Um, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So, back to Abraham, who seems to be a pretty big character in this uh, chapter 11. He's, he's got a lot of faith-filled examples in his life. Uh, he is in his 90s, um, and so is Sarah, and they're being told, you're going to have a baby. And that's one thing for Abraham to be a part of, but Sarah's like 40 years past menopause, and there's just no way except by the miraculous intervention of God. And he's saying, that's living by faith. This reliance on the supernatural activity of God, that is a snapshot of what it's like to live by genuine faith. Snapshot four, uh, genuine faith is future-oriented. Genuine faith is future-oriented. He says, these all died, this is verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one, and therefore God is not ashamed to call their, be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. So he's commenting on Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah. All those that he's, he's just talked about. Um, and saying they died believing that God was going to fulfill their, the promises he'd made after their death. They hadn't seen the promises fulfilled yet. And they greeted them from afar. It's like yelling down at your friend. You kind of see your friend and you're like, Hey! <laughs> And, and so it's not the greatest communication, right? It's not the clearest communication, but they could see it. And they greeted it from afar. And this is how faith-filled people do life. They're future-oriented, and in part, they're able to do that because they swing back and they look at what God's done in the past. It's exactly what this chapter is doing. He's trying to get the, the, the original hearers that, that got this letter of the Hebrews to keep moving forward in faith. And the way he does it, he said, let's look at what God did in the past. And then let that be some fuel for you to keep moving forward in the future. And so the, 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 the point of it is really keep moving, right? Keep moving forward in a future-oriented way. He just packs, it, like, packs in more examples of this future-oriented kind of idea. He says, by faith, uh, Abraham, when he was tested, verse 17, offered up Isaac 
And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him up from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, uh, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his, uh, his bones. So he just kind of goes through what are known as the patriarchs, right? And he starts with Abraham, and this time he tells the story of Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac. Um, and this is like the promised supernatural baby that they trusted God for. And then God says, yeah, I want you to sacrifice him on this hill. And so Abraham packs up Isaac, packs up some firewood, heads up the hill, puts the, puts the kid on the altar, pulls out the sharp knife. It's about to kill the kid, right? And this is definitely a, a, a snapshot of obedience. But here, what the, what the writer points to is that he was thinking, no, God has promised this future and I, I can trust God 100% to make good on that, that promised future. And because of that, if I kill my kid, he'll resurrect. <laughs> and so it's a future orientation of Abraham's faith. Um, and the rest of those examples, same thing. Isaac speaks, quote, future blessings over his son Jacob and Esau. Jacob does the same thing, speaking future blessings uh, over his uh, 12 12 sons. Uh, Joseph, this is kind of a fun story. Uh, Joseph here, you know, he's dying in Egypt. He's not in the promised land. And it's going to be about 400 more years before they go to the promised land. But he's, he's looking forward to God's promise to be in the promised land. And he, he tells the, the family as he's dying, you make sure you pack up my bones and you take them to the promised land when you guys leave here. And then 400 years later, they pack up his bones and they take them to the promised land. <laughs> it's a future-oriented faith. It's a future-oriented faith. Um, number five, genuine faith is exercised by the flawed. Genuine faith is exercised by the flawed. Th this next section, starting with verse 23, it seems like a purposeful airing out of dirty laundry of the history of the nation of Israel. Uh, they talk, verse 23 talks about Moses' parents were not afraid of the king's edict, which was Pharaoh, and he was like, I'm going to kill all of the, the newborn uh, baby boys. You tell me not well, they weren't afraid? Of course they were afraid. In fact, they were so afraid, they put Moses in a basket and they threw him in the river hoping that maybe someone would find him and would save him. <laughs> right? Moses said, he says he refused to be called Pharaoh's son, right? And, and chose to be mistreated with the people uh, of God. Um, interesting. I mean, God, basically Moses left Egypt when he got angry, accidentally killed an Egyptian, then got scared he was going to get in trouble, and he ran. That, that was why he left Egypt. Um, the only reason he came back is because God appeared to him in a, a burning bush and convinced him, you should go back. And he really was pretty hesitant about it. <laughs> These are our poster children for faith, right? The people crossing the Red Sea, right? Whoa, so full of faith. Well, if you know the story, the Egyptian soldiers are bearing down, breathing down their neck. 
And they're between the Red Sea and the, the soldiers, and Red Sea opens, and they go through the Red Sea. Wow, faith, right? I'm, I mean, these people, these are, the, these are the poster children, right? The walls of Jericho fell down. Ooh, faith. Well, 40 years before that, the generation before that was like, we're not going into the promised land because the walls are too high. And then they wandered around the desert for 40 years. And then the next generation went in and saw those cities taken and the promised land taken. My favorite is Rahab, non-Jew, Canaanite, prostitute. She grew up wor worshiping idols. And she hides the, the Israelite spies and makes a deal with them that if she does that, that when they come in and take over the city, that they will protect her and her family. And then the list of Judges. You know, Judges is a horrific book in general. Uh, it's got a lot of good truth in it, but um, he starts listing off Judges. And so he says, Gideon, who was reluctant to do his job of, of commanding the Lord's armies, and was like, I'm not doing it unless I'll put out a fleece, and then if you keep it dry one night, and then I'll put it out again, and you make it wet, then I'll do it. Wow, big faith-filled guy, you know, Gideon. Um, Barak, <laughs> Barak was so scared to, to command the Lord's armies against the enemies that he told Deborah, hey, if you don't go with me into, into the battle scene, I, I'm not going to do it. I'm scared. Right? These, these, these are our, our poster children. Samson? Oh, come on. Oversexed, overly aggressive, narcissistic, winds up breaking every vow that he and his, his parents had made to God. Jephthah? Oh, come on. Jephthah, that son of a prostitute, gets kicked out of Israel. They bring him back because they need a mighty warrior to lead them into the, to battle. Um, he wins. He's so full of hubris when he wins. He comes home and he says, whatever the first thing is that comes out of my front door, I'm going to sacrifice that thing to the Lord. And the first thing out is his daughter, his only daughter. And he sacrifices her. This is, this is our boy, our, our faith-filled boy. David, you know, some good things about David. He's a good king, also an adulterer, a murderer, and then conspired to cover it all up. Samuel and the prophets, sounds like an ACL band. Um, but Samuel was one of the few figures of the Old Testament that has a pretty clean record. And his kids are horrible. Um, so there's not, it's not hard to find some flaws here, right? That, the, that the, those that are being pointed to as genuinely living by faith are very uh, flawed. And so what is the writer doing <laughs> offering this motley crew of people and then saying, this, these, this is a snapshot of how you live by faith. And, and, it, and it helps us understand the nature of living by faith. And so what, what you see in these people's lives is when they go through a setback or they sin, when they come, come out on the other side, what, what they do is they turn to God. They turn to God. And they trust in God again. And then they have another sin or a setback and they, they, they trust in God. That, that's what makes them people of faith. And yeah, they have some amazing things that they do in obedience to God, absolutely. And those things matter. And those things are fruit and proof that they were people of faith. But also the proof that they had faith was when they had sin or setback, they turned to God, right? Um, you might think of it this way. It's the difference between 
what happens when you cut a dead body versus you cut a living body. I'm stealing this from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. A person who has no faith are cut with sin or suffering. It's like a dead body. It doesn't heal. It doesn't heal. But a person who's full of faith who sins or is suffering, they're cut, right? But they heal. They heal. They turn back to God. They turn back for forgiveness. This is what you see in the lives of, of David and, and Abraham and Moses and even, uh, even Gideon. I mean, all, all, you go through all those stories, and for most of them, you can see that pattern of, of, of going through either sin or a setback and then turning back to God. This is the nature of the life of faith. Um, snapshot six, I think this is the last one. Genuine faith does not guarantee any outcomes in the here and now. Genuine faith does not guarantee, I repeat, it does not guarantee any outcomes in the here and now. Uh, here, what, what, he, what, what the writer says here, verse 33, as, he, as he's talking about all these people that he's just mentioned, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, made mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. Like, sign me up. Like, I'm all about that. Yes, I want to be a part of that part of this description of the potential outcomes. But look at the next set of potential outcomes. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. There's that future orientation. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Those are also potential outcomes in the lives of those that live by faith. And so here we are, you and me. We're flawed. And we're being invited in to live this life of faith. And this invitation to live this life of faith, this is the greatest gift that God could ever ever give us. Because He's inviting us into union with Him, into relationship with Him. And this is the only way that you can be in relationship with God, is to do it by faith, to live by faith. And it is a high honor. It's worthy of commendation. And uh, you, you, you see this um, commendation being based on Christ, even for the Old Testament uh, people that are being mentioned. I don't know if you caught this, verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was grown, grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for, looking to the reward. Such an interesting verse there where he's like, Moses was taking it on the chin for who? Christ. And so th- this commendation, this grace that's given to Old Testament and new is by the grace of Christ. And so, yes, he was looking forward to a deliverer who would come who was greater than himself, which is what he knew was, was coming. That's about what he knew. But, but that, that was enough for him to have faith 
in the God who gave him the grace of relationship with him. Um, and so all of this chapter 11 is setting us up for chapter 12, right? And, and chapter 12 is, is, is a call to us. So, you know, look at chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so think about a stadium full of all those folks that we just mentioned, plus all the other believers that have gone before us. And it's 105,000 plus in the stadium, right? And there they are. They're, they're witnesses. It's that same word. They're commenders. They're there to commend anyone who's living by faith. And it's so interesting because um, they too are seeing life lived by faith and saying, yes, yes. They're commending it. it it's similar to yesterday when uh, Iowa State was playing Texas and, you know, it's a home game for Texas. Iowa State would do something really good like get a first down on fourth down, total silence, not one cheer. <laughs> and then Texas would do something good, <gasps> right? Something similar going on in this great cloud of witnesses. It's like pe people just trying to, to do religion, trying to do it in their own strength, trying to do it to earn something from God. It's like silence in the, in the stadium. And then they see a Christian live by faith. And they may be a flawed Christian. They, they may be struggling. But they, they exercise this reliance upon, this trusting in the God who has given them the grace at the cross. And they're like, yes! That's what, we're, that's what we want. That's what God wants. And that's what these, those who have lived by faith and gone before us want. And so here's our chance to take our place in this long line of motley people <laughs> who have lived by faith. And, and we get to do it at a time that's very unique in the history of the people of God. This is what he means in verse 39 when he says, all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God has provided something better for us. So he's talking about the readers, the Christians, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And so he's letting them, letting them know, hey, you, you know what the promises, that the promises have been fulfilled in Christ. And, and so now your life of faith looks even better because you've seen this grace that's been given to you at the cross of Christ through his death. And how do you get that faith? Um... This little, little verse from Romans 10, I think is really helpful to understand how we get faith, right? 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is how God gives faith. He uses his word. Uh, and, and, and in particular, that word speaking of Christ and what Christ has done. Sometimes we call that the gospel. Right? And so this is the means that God uses to bring about faith in us is His Word and the preaching of that gospel, that good news about Jesus from His Word. And that's what brings about this supernatural reality in us that is faith. This willingness, this ability 
this capacity to rely on God, to trust in God, to believe in God. It's something He brings about through His Word. So for, for some of you, you may have not yet taken that first step of believing in what God has done for you in Christ on the cross. That's like the foundation. That's the baseline. It's saying, I am no longer going to rely on my own religious works or my own morality or my own whatever. I'm going to rely 100% on what Christ has done for me. I'm going to rely on God's commendation of me in the gospel, which is not conditional on my behavior. It's conditional on what Christ has done for me. And then in that grace-filled commendation, then absolutely we obey. We live a future-oriented kind of lifestyle. We obey the, you know, the commands of God. All, all of those things that we just talked about are lived out from that foundation of trusting in His commendation of us through the grace of Jesus Christ. For those of you who you've already you, you, you've exercised that, what we might call saving faith in what Christ has done for you, then for us it's growth in our faith, right? Like, the, like this is hopefully what happens on a Sunday morning. This is partly why we come here is because we want to grow in our trust in reliance upon God. And how do we do that? We hear the Word. We hear the Word. We hear it read. We hear it prayed. We hear it sung. We hear it preached. And, and God uses that as a means to build our faith, our reliance upon God. And I hope that's happening this morning. I hope as we've read this text, as we've looked at some of these truths from the text, that, that it's uh, animating your faith if you're already a Christian, or maybe for the first time it's animating your faith in Jesus for salvation. And so um, I want us to, to close by reciting the Apostles' Creed. Partly I, I want to do this because I want you to learn the creed. Um, and if you're not yet a Christian, yeah, hey, I don't want you to feel pressure to, to say it. And uh, so, so don't feel like you have to. I don't want to make anyone say something they don't want to say. But uh, uh, others of you that are comfortable doing it, we're going we're gonna to do it. So if you'd stand, and uh, it's going to be on the, uh, the screen. And Caleb, if kind of when we get to the maybe last two words, we change it so we can be ready to give the next reading. So let's do this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven, is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. God, we give you... Thanks and praise for the gift of faith and that you, through your word, have given that to many in the room. And a lot of, 
these folks, it, it, myself included, it is it's against sort of against all odds that we would have seen the truth of your word and responded with faith. And yet, by your Holy Spirit, by your grace, you've, you've given faith. And so I know for some, that may have even been the first time this morning, but for whether it's today or it's been years, we give you thanks for giving us the gift of faith. And we pray that it would grow, that uh, as a mustard seed, it may start small, but that it would grow and that we'd be able to rely on you and trust in you in new ways this week, that we'd be able to rely on you and trust in you uh, as a church and not in our own selves or our own strategies or our own strength, but in you and you alone. And we thank you for this gracious commendation that you've given us as a gift in Christ and that we can live in that applause uh, of yours uh, as a gift and then continue to live by faith in the midst of that grace in a way that pleases you and uh, is worthy of uh, a commendation. And so God, help us. Help us to live by faith uh, this week and uh, to live by faith as a church. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.